Good morning. How are you doing? Yes, thank you, David. I'm at the stage, either I can see you and I can't see my words, or I can see what I've written and I can't see you. So we're going to go for, see what I want to say. Well, uh, my name's Liz, as Emma said. I'm part of the staff and on the leadership team here at the church. And it's a joy to be in 1 Peter. I'm going to continue in our sermon series. Um, 1 Peter's an excellent book that is so relevant for us right now in the world that we live. Um, It's written to a group addressed as elect exiles. So they were elect, chosen by God, but they were exiled. They weren't in their homeland, as we were just hearing really about um, Andre earlier. And it's written, it seems, they weren't experiencing persecution in terms of suffering, um, but they probably were experiencing what we might call soft persecution. So they had some level of comfort and stability in the home that they were living, but actually they were experiencing uh, unfair treatment for their faith. They were experiencing threats because of their faith, perhaps being insulted because of their faith. They were being slandered and spoken against because of what they believed. Maybe they were even being cancelled, as we would term today. Does that sound familiar to the world that we live in? That's why 1 Peter has got a lot to say to us. Hands up here. Who feels cautious about saying what you really believe at your faith? Because you know we live in a culture that is so different to what Jesus would say. For so many of us, we're cautious. We're so aware of what our faith, if we really say what we believe, how people will respond. Well, this letter shows us that soft persecution isn't a new thing. And Peter shows us how we are to live in a world that would malign the Christ follower. So before we kick into the next uh, section of 1 Peter, let's just pray. Holy Spirit, you have been so generous with your presence with us this morning. Thank you for moving amongst us, stirring us to pray, lifting our gaze to you. Holy Spirit, I pray now that the words that are penned by 1 Peter would fall on good soil today, that our hearts would be good soil. Would you give us ears to hear you and eyes to see you in the word, we pray. Amen. Right, so I want to encourage you to open your Bibles or your phones so you can read along with me. It's going to come up on the, behind me. I'm a paper Bible girl, and we're going to do this, guys, right now. This is why I'm a paper Bible girl. Can I tell you why? Because the Bible on a phone is to a Christian what Google Maps is to the motorist. The Bible on the phone is to the Christian what the Google Maps is to the motorist. It will get you directly to where you want to go, but you will never be able to find the place on your own strength. Isn't that true about Google Maps? It takes you where you want to go, but you can't find the way back. And I think in an age, we've got to fight for Bible literacy, haven't we? I've got to fight for Bible literacy, that I understand the Bible, I know where things are. So I really want to encourage you to pick up your paper Bible to help you learn where things are. And I particularly want to encourage parents, please would you read a paper Bible in front of your kids, not on the phone, on your phone app. I tell you why, because your children don't know if you are reading the news, you're on social media, or you're deep in God's word. 
We've got a 23-year-old son who I had a brilliant conversation with over Christmas. I said to him, Josh, I'm really sorry that we didn't teach you very well how to read the Bible. We were just having a conversation about how you read it. He said, it's right, Mum, I wouldn't have listened to you anyway. Great. <laughs> but, but he said, but Mum, you and Dad showed me what to read the Bible. You read the Bible every day. And that's why at 23, he has now got a voracious appetite for the Bible because we modeled something to him. Parents, pick up your paper Bible. Show your children what it is to read the Word of God daily. Right, now we get on and read it actually ourselves. So, 1 Peter 1, verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded... Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What's the first word of this sentence? Therefore. And what do we say? What is the therefore? Therefore. That's the question we always ask when we see this word. It's such an important word in any text, but particularly in the Bible. It points us back to what has just been taught. It's a hinge word. It's saying, in light of what you've just heard, here is your response. Because knowing what God has done for us always precedes the response that is required of us. I want to say that again. Knowing what God has done for us always precedes the response that is required of us. Time after time throughout the Bible, both Old and New Testament, this is how God relates. He initiates and then he calls his people to a response. So in this case, what is the therefore, therefore? Well, if you've been here the last two weeks, Andy and David took us through the first half of chapter 1 and showed us that we have a living hope that's been purchased through us, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That we have an inheritance purchased for us that can never perish, spoil, or fade. We've been given a salvation that the prophets spoke of long ago, into which angels look into. Why do they look into this salvation? I'll tell you why, because it's a scandal that a holy God would set his love on a broken humanity. No wonder the angels look in awe and reverence. How could he do that? So in light of this glorious inheritance, Peter says, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Hope fully. Preparing your minds for action, it's an instruction to get get rid of sloppy thinking, to be alert, not to be lazy in mind. Preparing your mind for action literally means gird up the loins of your mind, which for the original hearers would have invoked very um, lots of imagery about lifting up 
fabric of the garments that they wore, these long flowing eastern robes, and tying a belt around it such that they were ready for activity or exercise. It meant that they could get going and run. We might use the term rolling your sleeves up. It would have the same connotation. And then Peter says, don't be drunk in mind either. Drunkenness dulls the senses. It dulls responsiveness. That's why we have laws against drink driving. So Peter is saying, get prepared. Be alert. Get your minds ready to think deeply. To think deeply about hoping fully. Put 100% of your hope, all your eggs in this basket, every bit of your trust. In what? In the return of Jesus Christ. The reality that Jesus will return and he will usher in a new age, the renewed creation. The expectation of him coming back to earth is to where all our hope and all our joy is to be centered and cemented. I find it really interesting that a few verses before, Peter has talked about how the prophesies, prophets prophesied about the coming of Christ. And Jesus did come, and he did do all the prophets said. He delivered, Jesus was delivered from Egypt, as Hosea said he would be. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, as Zechariah said he would. Jesus was conceived of a virgin and was silent before, like a lamb as a shearer, before a shearer is silent, as Isaiah said. All that was prophet, prophesied about him happened. He was all that he said they would be. And the prophecies about Jesus returning have been prophesied by, amongst others, the greatest prophet of all, Jesus Christ himself. Peter says, hopefully, in the return of Christ, because he will return. I wonder if you've ever thought how hope affects your behavior. We know that a lack of hope crushes, doesn't it, and removes a joy from us, it weighs heavy. But living in hope does some bizarre things to us. People book holidays and then do things like get fit for holiday, save money to spend on holiday, buy clothes to wear at their holiday. We adjust our behavior because we have a hope in what's to come. That the investing, the preparing, the saving, the changing of our behavior now is appropriate for the future because it's going to reward us. Likewise, hoping fully in the return of Christ should change what's important, where we invest our finances, what we do with our time, who we serve, because we live in light of what is to come. Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. 
In light of this living hope, says Peter, don't conform to the ways of your old life, to the pull of your old life, to the old ways of thinking and the patterns of behavior. You're obedient children. Having said that, there are two motives for obedience. One is based on fear, and one is rooted in love. One obeys because it thinks that by doing good deeds, it will earn love. The other, which is what Peter is urging us towards, is godly obedience. Obedience rooted in love, that obeys out of trust, that executes good deeds because we know God loves us. That is a response to love, not a requirement for love. Obeying as a response to love, not a requirement for love. See, godly obedience is rooted in the heart. Godly obedience is right behavior and right motive. So again, godly obedience is right behavior and right motive. Doing the right thing for the right reason. And godly godly obedience leads to holy living. We are called to live purely, to be holy as God is holy. What comes to mind when you think of holiness? Perhaps it's a group of nuns living separately. Maybe it's a list of moral rights and wrongs, a tick list that needs to be obeyed. Well, holy is who God is. We've been singing about it this morning, talking about it. Just as he is love, he is faithful, he is merciful, he is holy. And in verse 14... Peter picks up on the Old Testament Exodus story where God gives instruction about how his called out people are to live. If you've got your paper Bible, you can look at Leviticus 11.45. He says this, For I am the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt to be your God. You shall therefore be holy, for I am holy. So he's speaking to the Israelites I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall therefore be holy because I am holy. So first of all, God reminds them what he's done. He's brought them out of Egypt. And then he requires a response of them. We talked about that at the beginning. Now live as my holy people. Holy means to be separated from, to be set apart, to be distinct, to be different from And that is the God that we serve, isn't it? He is so other. He is totally set apart from us in knowledge and wisdom and perfection and love, just to name but a few. He creates simply by speaking. He is able to bank up water such that people can walk through it. He is able to make the morning dew create a a foodstuff for people to eat each day. He is holy, set apart, unlike anyone else. And the children of Israel were to be set apart as God was set apart. Because by living differently, by living as obedient children, by obeying the laws that God gave them for good, their good, they would be a witness to the character of their God to his justice and generosity, to his 
power and love. And just as the children of Israel were called to be holy, you and I are called to be holy. We are to imitate God in his difference. Because that's what children do, isn't it? They imitate their parents for good and for bad. We know that. To live purely, to be holy, it isn't ultimately about living in line with a moral tick list. It's about being set apart for God, for his glory, to show others what he's like. You and I, for you and I, that means to live our lives, the things we say, to represent God. Being holy is an invitation to live out our union with Christ, to show that we have been separated from sin, that we are to be used by God for his mission. You've been made holy. That means you're separated from sin to be used by God for his mission. And his mission? To transform the world through Jesus Christ. That's why you're called to be holy not to do a certain set of things or not do them, but to be used by God for his mission, which is to the transformation of the world by Christ. To be holy doesn't mean that we cut ourselves from the world around us, that that we engage with it, but with a totally different motive and a totally different narrative. We engage, as Jesus did, with a desire to serve to love enemies, to give to those who can't repay, to touch those that society would cast out, to bring peace and reconciliation, all the time with a motive of showing what God is like and bringing his kingdom to earth. Parents, can I encourage you as we go through Peter? I think one of the things that really strikes me from Peter is that we need to teach our children that they are strangers and aliens in this world. I'll tell you why, because if you teach them that they are strangers and aliens, when they realize that they're so different from their peers at school, it won't be a shock. Because mum and dad told me it's going to be different. We need to teach our children they've got different values. And I want to encourage you, just as we as God's people are to go out and touch the world for his glory, train your children to believe and know they can influence culture. They don't have to be influenced by culture. Train your children to believe they can shape friendships groups. They don't have to be shaped by friendships groups. They are the head and not the tail because that is what God's church is about. Verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. 
Well, just five minutes ago, I was talking about not fearing God in terms of obedience, that we were not to obey God out of fear, and yet here Peter explicitly says that we should conduct ourselves with fear before a father who judges. We sing lots, don't we, about the fathering nature of God. You're a good, good father. Probably less we sing about God being judged, judge, although I can think perhaps of one song. But God is both. We are to walk reverently before him. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, it's language of intimacy and relationship. But Peter reminds us here as well, don't forget, God is also judged. So walk reverently before him. We will be judged on how we live. The Father in his love gave us Jesus And our union with Christ totally vindicates us from the penalty of sin. We must be clear about that. Our union with Christ totally vindicates us from the penalty of sin. But how we live, what we do with the freedom that's been given to us, how we conduct ourselves in light of this beautiful inheritance and the fact that the price was so expensive That matters because our freedom, our forgiveness, our precious inheritance cost far more than silver or gold. It cost the precious blood, not of a fluffy lamb, but of God's only son, Jesus Christ. The blood of Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, without blemish or spot. Peter takes us back to Exodus language again. It's taken us to the Passover. His blood was the ransom. Only his blood could purchase mankind. Only his blood could give us the freedom from a life of slavery slavery to sin and death. Such a precious price we take for granted at our own foolishness. We take it for granted at our own foolishness. Our salvation isn't to be wasted or thrown away. We are to walk reverently, mindful that God is both Father and Judge. Having purified your souls, verse 22, by obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you've been born again not of a perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God for all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass the grass withers and the flower falls but the word of the Lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Love one another earnestly. Love, the great characteristic 
of life, love God, love your neighbor, probably the strap line if there ever was one of the Christian walk. And Joe so pr- provocatively spoke about loving our physical neighbors just a few weeks ago. That's what uh, was involved when we talked about loving our neighbors, those testimonies earlier today. And here, Peter addresses this fundamental in community life. Because where there is pressure, and there was certainly pressure amongst these believers, where there's pressure, there's a temptation to turn in on one another and to be malicious and deceitful, to be slanderous and envious. But Peter says, no, 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 no. no. Love earnestly. Respond with love. Respond with love from a pure heart because you've been born again. You see, treating others as brothers, loving others as if they were family, is possible if you've been born again. If you've experienced spiritual rebirth, it's possible. Loving those who malign you or revile you isn't normal, is it? Let's be real about it. In fact, I think Peter argues it's not actually possible if you've not been experienced spiritual re- rebirth. But love, God's love to others is an overflow. It's a byproduct of genuine spiritual birth. Shortly, we're going to be baptizing three people who have experienced that spiritual rebirth. They are all testifying that they have been born again, born of spirit. And baptism is an act of obedience, and it's a sign that they've put their faith and trust in God, just like my wedding ring is a sign that I am married. When we're born again, when we receive the spirit, we are given power to love others, to give away the love, the love that God has given to us. Peter says we are to love one another earnestly. Earnestly can be defined as sincere and intense conviction or seriously. We are to love seriously. Friends who are being baptized today, since you have been born again, you are to seriously love others. The rest of us in this room, all of us who call ourselves Christians, we are called to seriously love others. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, you've got to seriously love me. We are called to seriously love one another. And as I come into land, and before we change tack and go outside and witness the joy of four people getting baptized, I want to finish by picking up this quote that Peter uses in verses 24 and 25. He says this, All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. It's a quote from Isaiah 40. And Peter uses it to demonstrate that the seed from which spiritual life germinates and grows is beyond compare to any seed that from which physical life germinates and grows. Physical life begins with a seed, 
but it will ultimately die. It will perish just like the grass. Spiritual life, however, sprouts from an imperishable seed. And that seed is the gospel message, a message which Isaiah says can never, ever decay or fade. A message that was prophesied 700 years before Christ walked the earth. A message that was demonstrated and attested to and fulfilled by Christ when he walked the earth. A message that is bearing fruit in the life of the New Testament believers that Peter is addressing. A message that 2,000 years later is evidence here is still working in power. A message unlike that of putting your hope in stars or crystals or some other good luck charm. It's a message that is living and abiding. It's the yeast in the dough. It's the power of God unto salvation. Friends, the premise of this book is a people experiencing soft persecution, being maligned for the way that the gospel had shaped their values and propelled them to live. A people who probably, like you and me, felt the pain of watching a world living without God, feeling keenly that they don't fit in with the culture and how others do things. But Peter speaks here of two types of life, one that will perish and one that is born of an imperishable seed. His encouragement to us today is to remember that whilst the physical life ends, the life that the gospel message, the imperishable seed produces, it will never end. The word of the Lord, as disclosed in this book, remains forever. And the life that germinates from it remains forever. Therefore, friends... Hope fully. Shape your life and behavior around the return of Jesus Christ. Live purely. As God's obedient children, be holy as he is holy. Show the world what Jesus Christ is like in the way that you live. Walk reverently. Don't be complacent or minimize the great cost of your salvation. Remember, God is both father and judge. Love earnestly. Seriously, love others. Let's pray. Jesus, you are and were the greatest elect exile. The one who left your home with the Father and came to earth as an exile. We honor you as one who was reviled, slandered, insulted for all that you were. But we thank you that you hoped fully that you endured the cross on our behalf. We thank you that you lived purely, that you reflected the Father's character 
in all that you said and did, that you walked reverently. You said, not my will, but yours be done. You did what the Father wanted and that you loved earnestly, so much so that you laid down your life that we might be reconciled to the Father. We honor you. May we be worthy of the gospel message that we have been received. Thank you for this confidence that we have been born of imperishable seed, that we will live forever, that you are returning, and one day we will dwell wholly with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.